Um, we are continuing our series and bringing down to a close our series on the, the Holy Spirit. And uh, we're going to begin by reading chapter 14, verses 1 through 5 as kind of a kickoff. And we're going to spend a lot of our time um, in chapter 14, but we're jumping around a little bit. Let's begin with verse 1 and read through to verse 5 together, and then we'll just ask God's blessing upon his word. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. And Heavenly Father, we ask you to bless this time in your word and that our hearts would draw the riches of Christ through this time in your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you notice as we went through those verses, the emphasis on building up the church. We've seen how the gifts are given and are to be tethered to love. And love, the goal of love is to build up the church. So many times over, as Paul talks about the gifts, he t attaches it to love, which results in building up the church. That's the goal of the gifts. The title of the message this morning is actually pretty self-explanatory. Uh, it's this, striving for the work of the Spirit while avoiding weird stuff. That's the title of this message. And um, that's what we want to be. The, the church of Jesus Christ is, is dependent on the power and the working of the Holy Spirit. We want, we need, we desperately need the power, the workings of the Holy Spirit in our midst. As we said right from the beginning, God isn't doing anything on the earth except through and by the agency of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of Jesus Christ is being continued on earth through the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We truly need the Holy Spirit. And I know my heart has been stirred up by this look at the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that yours has been too, and that your faith has been growing for his good work in our midst. But what we don't need is the weird. Amen? Can I get an amen out of that? We don't need the weird. All right? We don't want the weird. And I want to be really careful. And I want to be very respectful because I, I, there's no desire in my heart to just mock people or mock things. We need to be very careful. Jonathan Edwards, who was one of the leaders of the Great Awakening, um, warned people about looking at things and mocking things and, and determining that's not the Holy Spirit. We want to be careful. The Holy Spirit is very capable of doing the unusual. He is very capable of doing the unexpected. We can't put the Spirit of God in a box and say, 
This box of ordinary, regular things is all the Spirit does. He can do unexpected things, just like Jesus did. Jesus did things that people did not expect, things that were unusual, like rubbing mud in the eyes of a man. I mean, I wouldn't do that. Uh, you know, that, that's not something we typically see done. He did unusual things, but there's a difference between unusual and weird. There's a difference. There's a difference between putting the Spirit of God in a box that says, this is what I expect, this is what I believe. There's a difference between a box and guardrails. Guardrails, biblical guardrails. There's a difference between the Spirit doing the unexpected and anything goes. Years ago, there was, you might remember this, a revival movement where the leader of it coined the phrase, God offends the mind to reveal the heart. I don't know if you remember that, but that was the big thing in his meetings. God reveals, does, he offends the mind to reveal the heart. And I went to one of his meetings, and, and my mind was offended, actually. But here's the problem, because what that is saying is the Spirit may do things that make absolutely no sense to your mind in order to reveal your heart. The problem with that is it leaves us absolutely no guardrails by which we are able to assess whether it is of the Spirit or not. In fact, by that definition, the weirder it is, the more it must be God. The less it makes sense to us, the more it must be God. By that definition, you can drive a truck through that definition of weird. You can have, drive a truck of weird, loaded with weird, through that definition and say, it's just the Spirit offending my mind. I heard of a church, true story, where during the service, people start, and this kind of, you know, appropriate with all the COVID that we've seen, people started feeling nauseous and dizzy during the service. And the pastor said, that's the Holy Spirit working. So don't leave. Well, some people got up and left anyway. They just were feeling horrible, so they left. But others stayed because the, the pastor was saying, this is the Holy Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit. Well, it was actually a gas leak. And those that stayed died, including the pastor. So we want to have discernment to tell the difference and say, you know what? When the Holy Spirit moves, it doesn't resemble poisoning. That's just, that's just weird. That is weird. Much of chapter 14 was written to provide the Corinthian church guardrails. Guardrails that make sense to our minds, that are comprehensible to us, that keep us or guard us from getting weird. Weird hurts the church's credibility and it hinders the Spirit's work of building up. Remember how we read that in the first five verses, building up the church. So we want to strive for the work of the Spirit and avoid the weird stuff. I want to begin by just encouraging us again that we should, church, we should be striving for the work of the Spirit. 
the Corinthians churches, the Corinthian churches abuse of spiritual gifts was doing a lot of damage. It was doing a lot of damage. It was confusing people. It was hurting people. There was a lot of, of spiritual abuse going on in the Corinthian church. And so believers, rather than getting built up, were getting torn down and damaged or puffed up with pride, depending on where they landed on the, on the spiritual scale. But it wasn't just doing damage to believers. It was also driving away unbelievers. Unbelievers were basically being turned off by the weird stuff that was going on. Now, if I were to be asked to consult that church, it would be very tempting to me to tell them to lay off the spiritual gifts, lay off the spiritual stuff. You know, maybe even just preach Jesus and maybe stop talking about the Holy Spirit for a while. But Paul knows the problem in Corinth isn't the gifts. The problem is their spiritual immaturity. And so the remedy that Paul brings isn't stop doing this, it's do it correctly. Do it correctly. Keep desiring the gifts, keep pursuing the gifts, but remember the purpose of the gifts, which is to build up the church. Look with me at chapter 14, verse 12. Paul writes, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. You hear the connection there. He's saying you guys are eager for manifestations of the Spirit. You are eager for Him to move. Paul doesn't say to them, stop being eager for manifestations of the Spirit. That's a good thing. They are eager for, his, for the Spirit to move. What he does is he provides the guardrail also add to that eagerness, an eagerness for what the Holy Spirit wants to do, which is to build up the church. That's his purpose. That's the guardrail that reminds us the Spirit is all about building up the church. Jesus is building his church. And he's doing it through the Holy Spirit, or by the Holy Spirit, through the church. That's the work. And so the gifts are given to build up the church. The fruit of the Spirit is given to build up the church. What I want to caution us with, especially those who, like myself, are have seen a lot of weird. We've seen a lot of weird. There can be a temptation to swing to the other extreme and say, I don't want anything unusual. I don't want, I don't want to even really, I just want to preach Jesus and virtually not think about, not talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will do what the Holy Spirit's going to do. He doesn't need me to be thinking about Him or eager for manifestations of the Spirit. In other words, cautious. And that's the other end of the spectrum. And I submit to you, it's, it's just as regrettable when churches have no expectation of the Spirit. Don't talk about the Spirit. As Chuck Swindoll said, he becomes the weird uncle that you don't really want to talk about at Thanksgiving dinner. That's the other extreme. And here's why that is a problem. 
And here's why we should be eager, why we should be striving, why we should be praying for the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, why we should be desiring the gifts of the Spirit in our lives, why we should be pursuing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives, why we should be believing God for his spirit to move. Number one, because nothing's going to get done in the church apart from the Holy Spirit. No person will ever get saved apart from the touch of the Holy Spirit. No person will ever have their mind illuminated to understand not just Bible truth, but God through the scriptures, except by the Holy Spirit. We will not grow in Christ except by the Holy Spirit. Everything God does in our lives is through the Holy Spirit. So we, and the other reason we want to be eager for his manifestation, striving and praying and believing and expecting and stepping out is because that's the atmosphere the Holy Spirit loves to move in. You see, the idea that the Spirit will do whatever he does, no matter what I do, is wrong. The Bible tells us really clearly that the Spirit moves or doesn't move, largely dependent upon the atmosphere he finds himself in. If there's an atmosphere of faith, expectancy, prayer, the Holy Spirit loves to move in that. If he comes to an atmosphere of doubt and unbelief, he will not move nearly as much. Churches that say, we haven't believed in miracles, and in ten de- you know, 100 years, we haven't seen any miracles. So that proves is that's because you're not expecting God to do any miracles. When Jesus walked this earth, he was affected by the level of faith that he found. Now, I don't understand how all that works, because Jesus is God. God can do anything he wants. But the, the Gospels tell us that when he was in certain towns, he could do no great miracle because there was no faith. That's what the Bible says. The Bible also says there were times when he was in a place and the power of the Lord was there in an unusual degree. Do you remember the story where the four men lower the paralytic into the house through the roof? The Bible says Jesus was there teaching and the power of the Lord was present to heal. There was something unusual going on in that room. And I believe a part of it was those four friends who were looking down from the roof, dropping their friend in, lowering him in, and believing. I mean, it takes a lot of faith to go to that degree. They were believing. So we see this emphasis. Paul was walking along and he saw a man, a, a, a man lying down, a lame man, and he, it says that he saw that he had faith to be healed. He saw faith shining on the man's face, and he said to him, get up and walk. And he did. Paul tells Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, fan into flame the gift you've been given. You've been given a gift by the laying on of hands of apostles, but that's not the end of the story. Now you take that gift and you fan it into flame, because otherwise it could sit as a smoldering ember and not accomplish anywhere near what God wants to accomplish. And right here in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul commends the Corinthians for eagerly desiring the manifestation of the Spirit and eagerly, and, and encourages them to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. 
So the Bible's consistent about this. And I'm talking to myself because a lot of times my faith levels go low. I'm okay on automatic pilot too much. But church, let's believe God. Let's call upon God. Let's pray to God. Let's, let's read his word with expectancy. Let's step out as God leads us with expectancy. Don't think, it doesn't, I'm just going to do that. I don't think God's going to do anything. Don't let that case. No, believe God. God, you are going to do great things. I don't know what they are. I'm not going to predict, but I am trusting you. I'm believing you. God, would you save that person who seems so far from Christ? Would you touch their lives? God, would you pour out revival upon our young people and draw them back to Jesus Christ? God, would you do great things? Spirit of God, would you move? Fall afresh upon your church. Rushing wind, blow upon us. These are prayers of faith and expectancy. And I believe they please God's heart. And God answers those prayers. We need, desperately need, the Holy Spirit. And so we should strive through prayer, through faith, through reading God's word, through sharing, through encouraging, through stepping out to see the work of the Holy Spirit. What we don't need is the second half of that equation. We don't need weird. We don't need weird. We want to avoid weird stuff. And that's what the Corinthians had in plenty. I think the Corinthians had a motto, the wilder, the better. From what we see in 1 Corinthians 14, the picture that we get is that if you were to walk into a church service in Corinth, it would be chaotic. It would be chaotic. Their measurement of the Spirit's work was the wilder, the better the crazier, the better. The more uh, uh, unregulated by anything, the better. So people are speaking out in tongues in all numbers of people, in all points of the service. There's no order. There's no, uh, no leading. There's just whatever the Spirit does. They're talking over each other. The crazier it is, the more they believe. It is the Spirit. The fact that you walk into a service and everybody's speaking out in tongues and nobody understands what's being said is evidence the Spirit is moving. I mean, I've been to services where it's like, it's crazy. But you look back on you say, what did I actually receive? What did I learn? Sharing through encouraging, through stepping out. And how was I going? I don't know, but man, it was crazy. That's the Corinthian church. Maybe, as they heard all these tongues going on and saw all these crazy things going on, maybe they said, God is offending your mind to reveal your heart. Hearing through encouraging, through stepping out. Comes in and he says, no, 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 that's not what's going on here. He saw believing, hearing through encouraging, through stepping out that were being torn down in their faith. And he saw unbelievers who were leaving the church saying, those guys are crazy. Rather than being drawn to Jesus, they were being pushed away from Jesus. And this is what Paul, and Paul cares about that. He cares about the unbelievers and the, what they're walking away with. So read with me in verse 23 through 25. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, 
Will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. The goal isn't for unbelievers to leave the church thinking we're crazy. The goal is that they leave the church knowing Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the goal. That they leave knowing Jesus Christ. That their hearts are drawn to Jesus Christ. That, as Paul says in Titus, that, they, that we make the gospel of Jesus attractive to them. Gibberish being spoken, wild gibberish being spoken, is weird. them but if they're sitting in a service and I've seen this happen and God speaks a word through someone that only that person that unbeliever knew was going on in their lives and the Spirit of God speaks a word that opens their hearts discloses something going on and speaks to it That is unusual, but it's not weird. They walk away sensing God has spoken to me. I've watched people weep uncontrollably because God spoke a word to their heart that only they knew. It's unusual. It's not weird. They understand it. Paul is installing guardrails to our understanding of who God is and how God works. And so in verse 33, Paul says this, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And in verse 40, he says, But all things should be done decently and in order. So those are the guardrails that Paul puts up. God is not a God of confusion, There's confusion in the church. He's not a God of that. He's a God who brings peace. And services that are out of order, craziness, swinging from the chandeliers. No, everything should be done in decency and in order. What I want to do is just share a couple ways that we can be stewarding the gifts. We can be calling upon the Holy Spirit to move powerfully and without stepping into the weird. Now, this can't be exhaustive. There's no way. But I want to kind of give us some thoughts and some tracking that maybe will help you as well in your discerning for other things, some tools. And the first thing I want to encourage us to do, and this kind of marries the two, is this. Be zealous and be realistic. Be zealous and be realistic, particularly when it comes to using our spiritual gift. The Bible calls us to be zealous. At the same time, it encourages us to be realistic. We see that in the first five verses that we have proportionate gifts given to us. I want you to read with me Romans chapter 12, verses 6 and 8, where Paul writes this, having gifts that differ Gifts that differ 
according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. So what's Paul saying there? He's saying prophesy in proportion to the faith you have, according to the measure of gift you have. And then he goes on to say the same thing is true in serving. Serve in proportion to the faith you have, according to the gift you have. Teach in the same proportionate. Exhort in the same proportion, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. God has given each of us a measure of grace and a measure of faith, which determines the level of our gifting. God has given you a spiritual gift. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a spiritual gift that God wants to use to build up the church. And we want to be zealous about using that. Fan into flame. What Paul's saying to Timothy is don't be, don't sit on your hands with this thing. Don't let it go to pot. Develop it, cultivate it, use it. But what Paul's saying in Romans is, but in proportion to the level of grace, the level of gifting, and the level of faith you have. Be realistic. Be realistic about the proportion that you have received and where you're at with it and where your faith is at. So start out small and develop your gift. If God has given you gifting to teach, it's okay to start out in small contexts and develop that gift. You know what? It's okay to stay in small contexts if that's the Lord's will. If God has called you to lead, Paul says lead with zeal. Don't mail it in. If God has given you the spiritual gift of leadership, don't mail it in. Lead with zeal. But again, start with smaller leadership opportunities and context and allow it to grow. If God has given you with a heart, gifted you with a heart to give, give generously. But within your level of faith and proportion of gifting, and the same is true with mercy, See, if I'm reading Paul right, we have ceilings, in a sense, on how God has, or measurements of, of limitations of the measure of faith and gifting and grace we have in spiritual gifts. Not everybody is going to be an Apostle Paul or a Billy Graham, or you name the, the, the spiritual leader or the spiritually gifted person. It's not a matter of just saying, boy, if I have enough faith, I could be another Billy Graham. No, it's a matter of what God has gifted us for. How much God has given, apportioned, Ephesians 4 says. How much has he apportioned you of gifting, of faith, of grace? So be zealous if we're not at all pursuing, and Paul says, pursue eagerly the gifts. Be zealous, but it's okay to also be realistic and let that grow and, and, and walk within the level of faith. Thrive through prayer, through faith, through reading God. This is a tangent, maybe a side note to this about avoiding the weird, but um, I got an article in my inbox this week by a guy named Kerry Newoff, 
and it caught my attention, particularly one point. He was talking about things that Christians can say regularly that mis- unbelievers can, can really push them away. It can, it can cause unbelievers to, to be pushed away. And one of the points that he made, and I think it flows in this, like, let's not be weird as we pursue the power of the Spirit of God, is this, God told me to, and then fill in the blank. God told me to do something. Caring through encouraging, through stepping out. We should be careful about using that phrase. Now listen, one of the precious truths is this, God speaks to us. God speaks to his children. That is a precious truth. He speaks to his people. But I think we need to be careful when we say, God told me to do something. I think we can be careless with that phrase. I have seen people justify so many things with the words, God told me to do this. God told me to buy that house or build that building that is going to be way beyond my financial ability and put me into deep but God told me to do it. God told me to marry that person who's not a believer. It goes against the word of God, but God told me to do it. God told me to leave that church that I'm in conflict with without even trying to resolve it. God told me to leave it. I have seen people say such unusual things Things and justify so much by saying, God told me to do it. And I think often what we're doing is we're just doing what we want to do and passing it off as God telling us to do it. Listen, that's not being real. And when we say God told me to, it ends the debate, it ends the discussion. Who can argue with that? Recently, I've gotten to know a few um, <clears throat> a few pastors who um, work together in a church, and um, and there's no question they're sincere and they love Jesus. But I've noticed that they say God told me to with describing everything they do. I mean, they have no order of service; they just come together, and then God tells them who's going to speak when and what to say. And so they attribute God telling them to do everything they do. And again, I don't doubt their sincerity, but it begins to feel phony or or out of balance. God didn't tell me to sing the songs we sang this morning. God didn't tell me. um, I'm just seeking to follow the Spirit's leading and doing the best I can, but God isn't telling me to say every word I say. He's not telling me to do everything I do. He's not telling you to do everything you do. It becomes, and to the unbeliever, I think we can realize, they can realize, 
they're just they're just attributing God telling them to do everything they do. And that that doesn't feel right. That doesn't sound right. Newhoff urges a better course of action is to say something like this. Based on what I know from Scripture, and you can also add what I'm hearing from the Spirit, what I'm sensing from counsel, I believe the best, the wisest course of action is this. Now, what you said is, I think the Lord is leading me in this direction based on what I know. But you have not shut down discussion. You have not shut down debate. Somebody could say, okay, I hear that, but I see it a little differently. Can we talk about this? And by the way, this applies to prophetic words as well. If someone gives you a prophecy, don't ignore it completely unless it's completely off. But don't guide your life by it either. Don't guide your life by a prophetic word. Put it on a shelf and see if God confirms it or not through other means. If someone prophesies to you to quit your job, marry somebody, give them $1,000, whatever it is, don't do it. That would be weird. Put it on a shelf. If God, through his word, through his still small voice, the Holy Spirit speaking to you, through wise counsel from other believers that you trust their wisdom, if God begins to bring confirmation to that, then that word is just another encouragement of confirming that God is saying something to you. But never guide your life by a, a prophetic word someone gives to you, okay? I've seen people do a lot of damage to their lives by that. If somebody comes over and says to you, thus saith God, and tells you to do something radical, you just say, thank you. I'm going to put that on the shelf. I had a guy years ago when I was in my early 20s, he was a well-known and well-respected person with a prophetic gift. He prophesied over me that I would be a successful businessman. And I'm not. I'm not. I've never been a businessman in my life. I'm a horrible businessman, and I'm running out of runway. If I'm ever going to be a successful businessman, I'm running out of runway to achieve that. So, I listen, it was a word. I put it on a shelf. God has not confirmed it yet. All right, final point, and I'm going to be quick with this. Impressive is never the goal. Impressing is never the goal of spiritual gifts or the work of the Spirit. Building others up in Christ is. Let's read verse 27 through 28. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three at most, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. See, tongues is the big issue in the Corinthian church. That's why Paul's focusing on it so much. They saw tongues as the, as the, the, the legitimizer that you are spiritually powerful and mature. Listen to what he says in verse 18 through 19 about speaking in tongues. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. 